Hi, this is John Harcher, and welcome to episode 7 of Keep On Groovin'. The birth of the CD brought about the era of the box set. What would Jimmy's labels do to cash in and utilize the new format to get some new material out to an eager audience? One of them would end up with a lot of talk, another with half of an empty disc. But some long-awaited material finally reached the public. Episode 7, The Allen Douglas Era, 1988-1991, Boxed In. As I mentioned last episode, 1988 was the year I became a Hendrix fan. You can blame my buddy Darren for it. We were working at the now-defunct home improvement chain from the tri-state area, Pergament. Early on, we found out we were both Clapton fans, as well as guitar players, so we swapped ideas and see what else, like, kind of, we enjoyed listening to. Like, I got him heavily into the Allman Brothers thanks to the Clapton connection. He was really big on Hendrix, but I was resistant. But after a couple months of his saying, you know, it's not just drug music, you should really try it. I picked up the uh, LP of Smash Hits and, well, that was it. From that point on, I scooped up everything I could. That Christmas vacation, I borrowed 22 Hendrix albums from him and his brother and taped them all. This was also the era when radio stations would play specials dedicated to particular artists. The Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin had a number of these. Eric Clapton had one for his box set Crossroads, a set that was important in a couple ways I'll get to. Over Labor Day week in 1988, there was a two-part special entitled Jimi Hendrix Live and Unreleased that was syndicated to classic rock stations. Luckily, Darren had his tape player going and caught it on either WMMR or WISP out of Philadelphia. As the name suggested, it went through Jimmy's career and brought out a number of unreleased studio and live recordings. As a finale, they premiered a pretty complete version of the L.A. Forum show from April 1969, which was good enough to be considered for the possible live album, but had yet to have a single song actually released from it. Thanks to the success of Eric Clapton's Crossroads, studios began to look in their vaults and see what they could actually put out to generate interest. They also thought about taking another pass about releasing their digital catalogs using newer technology to make it sound better. In Jimmy's case, Reprise started by first revamping his core catalog. In 1989, the first three albums were remastered and the 78-minute Electric Ladyland was put onto one disc since the maximum time for a CD was up to 80 minutes. They also used the no-noise process to clean up the sound, but it's a process that hasn't necessarily aged well. A number of fans really prefer the sound of the original CDs compared to the no-noise ones. The greatest hit packages, Smash Hits, and Essential Jimi Hendrix were issued on CD for the first time. For Smash Hits, they added the other two B-sides, 51st Anniversary and Highway Child. Finally, 51st Anniversary gets reissued. They also put on some visual material that I never figured out how to access. I actually just saw it recently when I found it on some website. Really, really wasn't all that interesting, but whatever. Some years later, Smash Hits was reissued as a bargain CD, and instead of expanding it to include the other two songs from the UK edition, they went back to the original 12 on the US edition. But don't worry, the extra tax were all taken care of. We'll, we'll get there. As for Essential, they combined Volumes 1 and 2, 
put them in general chronological order with the live songs and Gloria to the back and made a two CD set of it. They also released Jimi Hendrix concerts on CD for the first time as well. They added a bonus track at the end, Foxy Lady from the 1969 LA Forum show, making it the first time anything from the show was released. There was another source of unreleased Hendrix material at this time from a somewhat unlikely outlet. The Hal Leonard Publishing Group put out a set of guitar books called the Hendrix Reference Library. Included with the books were either a CD or cassette containing various examples of Jimmy using a number of the techniques and effects mentioned in the title of the books. Mostly they were little snippets of material lasting anywhere from 10 seconds to a minute or so, both studio and live, released and unreleased. The one exception, though, was called Variations on a Theme Red House. This one included seven versions of the song to show how it could be performed a number of different ways. They came from Berkeley 1970, Newport Pop 1969, that actually turned out to be from New York Pop 1970, LA 1969, Royal Albert Hall 1969, the one from uh, the October 10th Winterland show, the one recorded at TTG Studios a few weeks later that had an intro spliced on from another recording, despite what it says, Buddy Miles was not on this version of Red House, and finding one from John Lee Hooker and Randy California. Stupid me, I bought the cassette. Overseas, they came up with a few ideas of their own. The same year Reprise was doing all their revamping, Castle Communications in France put out the radio show as a three-disc package. I found it somewhere over here in the States on sale for $49.99 and was tempted to buy it. Good thing I held off, though, because one year later, towards the end of 1990, Reprise put out their own version as Lifelines. It had three discs for the radio show, and added the complete L.A. Forum show as just four. Well, minus Foxy Ladies, and this was just on the Jimi Hendrix concerts, and there were a few other minor edits tossed in along the way. Was this really the best idea for a box set? I go back to my early example of playing the discs at a party. On this set, you have whole songs and bits and pieces interspersed with a lot of talking. There was an opportunity to do a box set along the lines of Crossroads of the Allman Brothers' Dreams. The mastermind behind those sets was Bill Levinson. He sort of pioneered the CD era vault digging in the mid-80s when he put together a couple albums of unreleased material by the Velvet Underground. When it came time for Crossroads, he spanned Clapton's entire career from his days in the Yardbirds all the way through to the late 80s. He dug up a lot of rare and unreleased material to add to his career highlights. He had so much material to use, he had to premiere the electric version of Blind Face Can't Find My Way Home on a radio special for that set. The next year, he did the same thing for the Allman Brothers on Dreams, giving us things like the studio version of States Were Old Blues and a cool Greg Allman solo version of The Beatles' Ring. Considering Jimmy had been doing recordings since the mid-60s as a session musician, could something similar be done for him? Well... Theoretically, yes, but as we've seen, there would have been a lot of legal wrangling to do. Would it have been so difficult to just take the songs out of the context of the radio show and just release those? Eh, I don't know. Pass the least resistance, I guess. So what was live and unreleased at the time? The show started with the song Jimmy did during his time with the Izzy Brothers, Testify. The next song was Laudy Miss Claudy by Little Richard, but Jimmy actually didn't play on it. 
He only recorded four songs with Mr. Penniman. I don't know why they didn't go with one of those. Next up was I'm a Man, recorded with Curtis Knight and Squires from this glorious night after Christmas in Hackensack, 1965. Like a Rolling Stone is represented by a semi-bootleg tape where Jimmy was jamming at a club with the organ player from Dylan's version, Blood, Sweat, and Tears founder and veteran of Electric Ladyland, Al Cooper. Red House comes from a concert in Paris where Jimmy and Noel both play guitar. The three British singles are next, Hey Joe, Purple Haze, and Wind Cries Mary, along with the BBC version of Hoochie Coochie Man mixed in. Another track from the BBC sessions is included, but this one is not on Radio 1 and for good reason. The Foxy Lady, including here, is an alternate from the February sessions that wasn't used because it breaks down before the song's finale. The next disc starts off with Third Storm from the Sun. They could have included Jimmy's actual dialogue that was slowed down for the record. They'd come up with doing that idea later. Rock Me Baby from Monterey was next, followed by the debut of Mr. Bad Luck, the early version of Look Over Yonder, recorded in May 1967. Midnight Lamp, Spanish Castle Magic, Bold as Love, and Little Wing followed, and mixed in was an alternate take of the song One Rainy Wish with a pretty cool mellow feedback ending I wish Chaz had included. Driving South is up next, and truth be told, I haven't heard the set in around 25 years. I think it's the version from the Alexis Corner show. You know, it would have been nice if they would have done the Dylan song. We would still have to wait a few more years and a whole bunch of changes in management for that. A cover of the old Guitar Slim song, The Things I Used to Do, which was recorded at a jam session in May 1969 with Johnny Winter joined again on slide, is next. The original version runs almost seven minutes, this one is just short of five. Next up is the Dylan sequence, which adds more annoyance about not including the one from the BBC sessions. All of the Watchtower is the official version, followed by Drifter's Escape, but not the one from Loose Ends. We'd find out a few years later that this was the one that Jimmy and Eddie mixed on August 22, 1970. The next group of songs are from the Electric Ladyland sessions. They start off with a three-minute excerpt of Cherokee Mist, a song Jimmy used to harken back to his family roots. His grandmother was Cherokee. Next up is an alternate take of Voodoo Child Sight Return that breaks down about two-thirds of the way through. The disc ends with an alternate mix of the opening section of 1983, Merman I Should Turn to Be, which includes a really cool slowed-down shout from Jimmy. The final disc of the radio star starts with a part of the long voodoo child, followed by an alternate take of Come On. I believe that one also breaks down as well. Manic Depression from Winterland is next. Then comes a version of Machine Gun I was believe is from one of the other nights of the Band of Gypsies concerts. When I burned the set on my iPod, I only included tracks that he didn't have from other sources. I don't have this on, so I must have had it from somewhere else. The Room Full of Mirrors here is the alternate mix I referred to earlier as the one Christopher Walken wouldn't like. No cowbell? You know, I actually wish it would have been the one with Mitch, but that still still remains unreleased. Next, the version of Angel included here is a home demo from March 1968 where the music he'd been working on since the Axis sessions is finally matched up with lyrics. Rainy Day Shuffles is, as the name implies, a little jam recorded during the same session and by the same band as Rainy Day Dream Away. It's a bit of a ripoff since it ends after less than a minute and a half. The entire original take is over five minutes. Next up are three of the Holy Grails, at the time, 
from Jimmy's unreleased catalog, starting with the big one. Valleys of Neptune was one of those songs Jimmy kept working on, but never quite got down correctly. The closest he got was this version from a September 1969 session with Mitch. There seems to be a bass guitar on here that no one's really quite sure where it came from. And annoyingly, Alan or producer Bruce Gary, former drummer for the Knack, yes, the My Sharona Knack, decided to only include two of the three verses from the recording. I understand not wanting to include all of the nearly six-minute take, which included an extended vamp in the middle before returning to the final verse. Considering they edited the ending onto the part right after verse two, why couldn't they have kept the verse and just edited out the vamp? I don't know. The song fragment, Send My Love to Linda, is next from a January 1970 session. This is the second of two vocal takes he did. There's also an instrumental jam he did with the band of Gypsies that wouldn't be heard for almost another 20 years. Now, he was mentioning Linda quite a bit in 1970. He also mentioned her in the Red House from Isle of Wight. Was he calling back to his old muse, Linda Keith? We just don't know. We can speculate, though. Then we have South Saturn Delta, which has Jimmy playing along with a horn section during the Electric Lady Man session. The show says the Brecker brothers were on horns, but they weren't. We'd hear more of this one in a few years. The show ended with Dolly Dagger from the Isle of Wight and Nightbird Flying from Cry of Love. But honestly, the reason most fans plunked down $40 on this set was to get their hands on the LA Forum show. How it took until 1989 for anything to be released from this show was made even more inexplicable by the release of the rest of the show to follow Foxy Lady on concerts. The show kicked up with a long jam on Tax Free. Jimmy does a fun introduction and dedicates the show to the Smothers Brothers. The radio version talks over the applause to explain to the 1988 audience who they were. I mean, they weren't dead, you know, and as a matter of fact, God bless Tommy and Dick, they're still not. They were actually pretty popular and and active in pop culture until like the the 2000s, you know, plus Dick did that, uh, that health commercial. So it's not like they're unknown. Anyway, the song was over 15 minutes. The version on the CD cuts out a minute and change from little drum solo that Mitch does. Foxy Lady would go here in the show, followed by Red House from the variation on a theme guitar book and CD. An extended version of Spanish Castle Magic went next. That flowed right into the Star Spangled Banner Purple Haze combo that was edited out and mixed for the possible 1969 live album, as was the next song, I Don't Live Today. The audience began to get rowdy towards the end of the concert, and management told them quite forcefully to sit down. The concert came to a close with an extended voodoo child that included a full jam of Sunshine of Your Love in the middle. Considering how the band had pretty much completely broken down as a studio group and had finished attempts at recording new material, the show was tight and the group had a lot of energy. Also interesting to know is that apart from Foxy Lady and Purple Haze, the set list contained mostly of jams and extended versions, you know, nothing like Hey Joe, Fire, or Little Ring, you know, just hard driving long songs. Was that a result of their situation at the time? You know, maybe, but it worked out for in this case. I haven't been able to find a chart listing for Lifelines. I can't imagine it sold all that well but it must have done well enough for Reprise to put out another box set the next year, and this one was more along the lines of what would be expected from them. 
It was called Stages, and it consisted of four discs, one for a representative show from each year of Jimmy's recording career, 1967 to 1970. From 1967, they'd already issued probably the best one in Monterey, so they had to find something different. Apart from the BBC, the experience recorded a number of shows for other European stations. In this case, they used one from Stockholm from a September appearance. The show started with Sgt. Pepper's and included the four singles along with Foxy Lady, Fire, and a rare early I Don't Live Today. The main problem is the show was only around 30 minutes, which left almost 50 minutes of the disc empty. They could have included another show from a different country, one from the Netherlands would soon show up, or put on those couple of missing songs from the BBC finally. But they didn't do any of that, so it was a disappointing way to start the set off. Disc 2 from 1968 is a lot better. It has the fourth and final show Jimmy would play at the Paris Olympia, the venue the band played their first live appearance back in October 1966. The set start out with Killing Floor. <laughs> there you go, Killing Floor again. And kept the blues scenes going with a full catfish blues slash experiencing the blues that included the cat squirrel spoonful ending. Foxy Lady was next. Then it was back into the blues with Red House with Noel on second guitar and a long drive in South, over nine minutes. The show wraps up with Wind Cries Mary, Fire, Little Wing with a slightly extended solo, and Purple Haze with the wild feedback opening. This three from 1969 is the San Diego show from May that contributed Red House to In the West and I Don't Live Today to concerts. Overall, it's not quite as good a show as the LA show. The Red House is better by, you know, kind of a little bit. The show seems a little looser and not as inspired from the start. The show started with Fire and Hey Joe. He didn't do those songs in L.A., remember I mentioned. And it didn't sound like he wanted to do them here, to be honest. It picks up with Spanish Castle Magic, which interpolates Sunshine of Your Love. Red House and I Live Today follow, but for some reason the CD does not include Foxy Lady, which was next in the set. I've heard unofficial versions of the set with the song, and it doesn't sound that bad. I mean, nothing like Isle of White. And thanks to its exclusions, it's led to all kind of confusions, and people would say that the version on Jimmy Hendrix's concerts was from San Diego, not L.A. I don't know why they did it. The show ended with relatively spirited versions of Purple Haze, which was mixed for the 1969 live album as an alternate, and Voodoo Child. The set needs to be re-released in full in some form, you know, as does L.A. for that matter. A double disc set should take care of it, though I think L.A. may need a little bit of trimming. I, I believe it runs around 82 minutes or so. This four is from the Atlanta Pop Festival on July 4th, 1970. Now, the set ran a little less than an hour and a half, so there would be some edits needed to have it fit on one disc. Now, truth be told, one song is completely understandable, and unfortunately, it was the final song of the night. Coming out of Straight Ahead, Jimmy started to play Hey Baby when he noticed his guitar was out of tune. I, I mean, I mean, horribly out of tune. I mean, you need to take that guitar off and give it to a roadie and retune it out of tune. But anyway, if you drop that song, you could still include it all but one song. But they left off Red House, Message of Love, Freedom, the fading along of the Watchtower from Johnny B. Good, and the Hey Joe that was accidentally released on some copies of Band of Gypsies 2. 
They also completely mixed up the order of the songs. I can understand wanting to move Luke Child to the end of the replacement for the missing hate baby. So if it was just that, it would have been fine. You know, so while it was nice to get some unreleased Jimmy, it wasn't the set it probably should have been because of all the deletions and mix-ups and rearranging sets. And anyway, good attempt though. Overseas, Polydor was doing its own version of revamping the Jimmy catalog. In 1990, they released Cornerstones, a career-spanning single-disc recap. It was unique for its time because it included the only way that you could get a digital version of the studio Star Spangled Banner from Rainbow Bridge. It also had the Buddy Mix's Stepping Stone and two songs from Atlanta Pop that would be included on the forthcoming video release of the show in the UK only, which mostly followed the stage's set list but swapped out Lover Man for Hey Joe. Then in 1990, they came out with two box sets collections of their own, Sessions and Footlights. Both contained CDs that were in print on their own individually, but one of the sets was of far more interest to those of us in the U.S. Sessions contained the four main studio albums for Jimmy, Are You Experienced, Access Boulder's Love, Electric Ladyland, and Cry of Love. Unless you wanted to have a certain overseas mastering for any of those, an American CD buyer really wouldn't need this. Footlights, on the other hand, did contain two surprises. It sort of paralleled stages by including live albums from 1967 through 1970, but these were separate individual releases. Monterey and Winterland were readily available for 1967 and 1968, but the other two were overseas releases only. Representing 1969 was Band of Gypsies. In the U.S., it released on Capitol, and for whatever reason, they still had not released the album on CD at that point. Maybe it was still fallout from the lawsuit over who'd get what, but Jimmy's regular label in the U.K. and overseas, Polydor, had the rights, so they released it in 1989 with the three songs from Band of Gypsies 2 as bonus tracks. It sounded okay, but it would have been better if the original tapes had been used for the album, but... You know, as I mentioned, they were lost. Well, correction, they hadn't been seen in 20 years at that point. We took what we could get back then, so it was nice to have it in digital form of any kind. The 1970 representative was more intriguing. It was a CD of Jimmy's Isle of Wight set, but not the six-song one from 1971. This one was called Live Isle of Wight 70. It only contained two songs from the first Isle of Wight album, Lover Man and In From the Storm in its shortened soundtrack form, and contained about half the set. It included the intro and God Save the Queen, but not the Sgt. Pepper part. It contained a longer version of Machine Gun than the one on the Jimi Hendrix soundtrack, but as we find out later, even this one was still edited by half. And for some reason, it moved In From the Storm back from the final song of the set and ended the album with Hey Baby. So you still had to use several like different sources if you wanted to make a 90-minute tape of the show like I did at the time. And even then, you were still missing songs. But where did this album come from? Now, remember that Isle of Wight album from Rika Disc that I mentioned seeing uh, on Steel This Disc 2? The one that never came out on Rika Disc? Well, supposedly, this is it. Why it never came out on Rika Disc or even Reprise, it, you got me. I have no idea. Maybe Reprise wanted to step back into the game at that point and wasn't sure this was going to be a good album for them. 
it's another one of these that makes no sense at all. So we'd have to wait another decade before we'd get the entire Isle of Wight set. So with all these box sets flying around, what we never got is a career-spanning collection that have classic tracks mixed with unreleased and live material. That wouldn't happen until the next century when we get not one, but two of them with loads of tracks fans had speculated about. It would also require a change of labels, a change that eventually led to Jimmy's family regaining control of his legacy. Next time on Keep On Grooving, it's our holiday special. We'll take a look at some of the releases that came out that have something to do with Jimmy and Christmas, even somewhat tangentially. As next time I keep on grooving, remember, if you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button. I'm John Hartra. Thanks for listening, and get ready next time for the holiday special!